0: Good morning, Jeff Stevens here, listening to a little set for the fall this morning. This is some stakes recorded at Canary Sessions. This is right on their Facebook page. Go support those guys. Uh, Like any band they're going through, what bands are going through right now, especially if you're not a huge band, it's hard to pay the bills as a band when the government's not allowing people to meet together. So, um, but if you would like to catch up with stuff that they're doing um, tonight at s- eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time, seven o'clock Central on Instagram at We Are Brave New World, that is at We Are Brave New World. Um, Harrison and Jeff will be on there. They'll be talking about what they're working on. So, if you're interested in supporting a good Christian rock band, go hit those guys up. And uh, hit them up on Instagram and see what they got going on. Um, it's been a, been a minute since I came on and did a, uh, a podcast. Um, did one right before Christmas and I haven't been on since. I have been studying a lot, but I've not recorded taking the time to uh, spend as much time as I possibly can with my family. Who has, uh, like most families, after the holidays will uh, fracture back out into the reality of the world. And uh, older kids in school headed back to their studies and sports and and things. So I took that opportunity. But in the midst of my reading and studying, I've been also writing, and I've been writing about uh, Jesus Christ as the propitiation or as the payment for our sin. Um, um, the propitiation is He is what pleases God because of His sacrifice. So. Uh, It's easy to focus on the atonement or Christ paying for our sin, but how is that payment done? How does he please God? It's through his sacrifice because he is the one that is the sacrifice. And um, the big question is why? Why does it have to be him? How was it him? Um, Why couldn't it be anything else or anyone else? You know, we've got the whole Levitical law, the whole priestly law, where atonement becomes... Um, a part of culture for the Jewish culture, for Israel, and they they do all these works for thousands of years as atonement for their sins, yet they are unworthy for the atonement for their soul. How does Christ fill that? How does he become the propitiation? So that's what I've been studying with. I had an aha moment last week, and I've been sharing it with as many people as I can in such a nerdy way that it's probably uh, annoying to the point, um, at a church men's meeting last night I just bust open the word of God uh, during dinner. And I'm like, you guys got to hear this. Uh, and if you study enough, if you study the word of God enough and you're searching for these things, uh, that give you those aha moments, you'll have more and more of them as time goes by. And I, I find that I get these things and they're almost overwhelming. I can't keep them in. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of places in the Bible where we learn about the attributes of God. We learn who he is uh, as um, a being, who he is as our father, who God is as the Trinity, who God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are, how they interact with one another. We do, um, you know, theology proper. We do uh, Christology, pneumatology. We do all these studies to find out who God is, how he interacts with his creation, how he created his creation, but we're very limited. Um, What we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel, touch, taste, smell, what we can learn, even the best of theologians can only get so far Um, and... You know, even digging in the text as deep as we can possibly go, there's only so much we can understand. And this is where I've come to this point with the propitiation is why. Why Jesus? And um, I had one of these aha moments. I'm going to share that with you. At first, I want to set the stage just a bit. Um, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably done a nature of God study or maybe did the names of God where those lend to uh, his attributes um, we get attributes all over the Bible because of course he's interacting with people and with nature and we learn who he is by the way he interacts or things he says about himself um, in a sprinkling of old and New Testament uh, verses we can you know find some things out um, we learned from 1 John 5 things about Uh, God as he is in Jesus, uh, the son of God, because he came to us so that we might know him. So he reveals himself to us and uh, we are in him who is true, his son, Jesus, and it's true in eternal life is in him. So we learn these attributes about his son. Um, We learn from Jeremiah 10 that the Lord is the true God. So there is no other God. He is the true God. He's living God, and he's a king. Um, We learn he's also wrathful in Jeremiah here. Um, We learn he's holy from 1 John 2. Uh, So holy being he's outside of us. He's different. He's, He's not part of his creation. He's outside of his creation. He's Um, he was aside from it before it was creation and he, he made it. So, um, we learn, um, things about our Lord from, um, Paul in Romans one, where he has invisible attributes. Uh, we learn that his power is eternal. It is divine. So it is godly and it is holy. Um, Some of these things have been clearly seen. We see through creation, not just creation of the mountains and the oceans and the sky and the universe through telescopes and science. We learn about them through the creation of mankind and animals and plants and through what was made. And and, and Paul says that so that we are without excuse. I mean, we see his majesty through the amazingness of the creation And we learn about his age a little bit from Psalm 90, where Psalm 90 tells us in verse two, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we like to think of God on a timeline, which is hard to put him in. There's no true, although he calls himself Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, because in our simple minds, we can't get our head around what infinite looks like. We can only see the finite of a timeline. So here the psalmist tells us before creation, before the mountains, before it was all made, he was, he is God. Um, Matthew 5 tells us uh, that he is perfect as our heavenly father. He is perfect. Um, Judges 6 tells us that God, the Lord, he is Peace. The Lord is peace. Um, we learn from 1 John 4 that God is love. Um, and it says there in verse 16 of 1 John 4, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Um we, there's a lot of stuff from 1 John. So 1 John 4, 8, uh, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So we learn a lot about God's nature as a loving God. He doesn't just have love. He is love. He's the creator of it. He's the master of it. It is his nature. Um, we also learn from 1 John in verse, or in uh, chapter 1 of verse 5, that he is light and that there's no darkness in him. Um... In John 4 and verse 24, it says God is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. So we learn a little bit about his physical nature. So he's a spirit, that being is a spirit, God the Father that is. So he doesn't have a regular physical body, not in the way that we would see it. Of course, Jesus Christ, God the Son, as a body, he came, he dwelled with us, grew as a man Rose up to be with the Father after in the Ascension after he was crucifixion death, burial and resurrection he's raised physically from the dead so he has a body but uh, and then the Holy Spirit is a non-physical spiritual being as well so we learn a lot of these things about God's attributes but none of us none of these attributes necessarily tell us why it had to be Jesus so why um, for the atonement of sin does it have to be Jesus so. Where does that atonement come from? And we start looking way back at the Levitical law, and uh, we can even really go before that because when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, God had t- to sacrifice animals to create clothes for them to cover their nakedness. Um, and that is uh, an example of God covering or atoning for uh, their sinfulness or their nakedness, their shame, but what we really see laid out as the act of atoning starts in the the Levitical law or the law that is delivered Moses to the people from God, where we see the act of the Israelites beginning to atone for sin through sacrifice. And although we learn a lot about how the atoning process takes place through the death of an animal. There has to be some sort of exchange for our sinfulness, for his righteousness. It's still not enough. And again, it lends the question, why? Why is it not enough? And so, as I begin to dig and dig and dig in the text, and I try to find out why, because we only see um, propitiation come up three times in the New Testament text, where Jesus is the propitiation; um, He is that exchange; He is the payment; He is what His sacrifice is, what is pleasing to the Father, and pleasing in a way that God says, "Yes, that was the sacrifice; that was good enough." to cleanse my creation of its filth and of its sin. I'm still wondering why to myself, like, how is this, how is it set up this way? Why did God make it this way? And it finally dawned on me while looking in the book of Malachi. And I know it seems like, why, why the book of Malachi? Like, it seems like an odd place to go, um, Number one, I'm not reading in the New Testament, so I don't see anything specific, uh, you know, with the name Jesus in it. And number two, I'm kind of, I'm sliding to the left in the book, and I'm not learning specifically uh, anything that Jesus said. Like, it's got to be me because. Um, But I think you'll find that this will support it. And uh, just keep in the back of your mind that what we just went over are some of the attributes of who God is. He's loving. He's light. He is love. He is the author of all things. He created it all. He created the heavens, the earth, the mountains, the stars, the moon, the sun, people, animals, plants. He creates it all. He's the author of it all. So he's got a nature. He's got a way of doing things because he's consistent. And I believe this will lend to that in a way where it makes it easy to understand. So this is going to be a judgment-full reading that we have here. It's prophetic. So I will start reading in Malachi in chapter three, and I'm going to read for you through verse six, and I'm not going to do a real exposition until we get to verse six. I might make some comments, but bear with me. So Malachi chapter three, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap so we're going to we're seeing judgment here so we know that when jesus came he did not come to judge, right? He came to save. So if we're seeing the coming of the Lord uh, and we're seeing a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap, we're seeing judgment. So from my assessment, we're seeing the second coming where he is coming to judge. Uh, Refiner's fire. So what is refiner's fire? That is essentially somebody who is taking metal and making it more pure. Something like gold or silver needs to be heated and then the dross pulled from it. The dross is other metals or uh, um, other things in the metal that make it so it's not as pure. So you heat it until it becomes liquid and then you clean the dross or the other things off the top of it and make it pure. And then when it rehardens, you have a nice clean metal for use in building or in jewelry or whatever it is you're going to make. And then Fuller soap. There's a lot that you can take kind of from so- Fuller soap, but Fuller soap was really an alkali based, uh, soap where, uh, the fuller would make fabric. Um, and of course, if you live in an area where there's a lot of wool, uh, like the Israelites did, they would have understood this as probably a way where they would take sheep or long haired sheep or goats and they would take their hair and they would clean it and turn it into, um, Fabrics, even if there were other sort of cotton fabrics or silk fabrics that had made their way there. I'm not quite sure all the different fabrics they would have had through trade at the time Um, of Malachi, which would have been probably uh, somewhere about 500 years before Christ. Uh, Whatever um, fabric that he is making, he's making it clean and they would dye it and they would use this fuller soap as an alkali way it would get rid of the smell and they would um, uh, maybe bleach it out or, or make it different colors but they would put this in it and they would need running water and they would beat the uh, water and beat the um, alkali base out of it and they would stamp on it to squish it all out and to dry it out and to purify it so it's another way of purifying fabric to make it useful uh, not to get rid of it, but to make it useful. So what we see here is that who can endure his coming and who can stand when his appears, for he's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So he's coming to clean, clean shop here. And it says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So he's, this is part of the redemption process. He's getting ready to bring his people back to himself, it says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old in the former years. So, how do they become pleasing to the Lord? Through this sanctification process that is happening, through this redemption process. And of course, what ultimately makes him uh, or makes the people pleasing to him is the sacrifice that is Christ. So, it says here, continuing in verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment, I will be swift. "...witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who trust aside, thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts." So there is definitely a call to people who live in their sinfulness here. If you live a sinful lifestyle, if you are not in him and then you are going to suffer his wrath and his judgment. I know this is something that's not oft preached in the modern weak church uh, here in the United States, but guess what? You cannot continue in a sinful, satanic lifestyle and live a sinful life uh, while raising your hands on Sunday morning and getting a tingly feeling due to the uh, rock show, light show, Uh, smoke machine and cool music and the tickling of your ears by a prosperity preacher uh, and make it into heaven. Uh, You have to submit yourself to God and allow him to sanctify you. Um, It's clear here as it is in plenty of other parts of the Bible that um, when he draws near for judgment, these people will be sought out by him and they will be destroyed. So we need to uh, keep that um, in mind when we preach and teach and study that there is a call to righteousness as a result of our faith in him. So don't, don't ever set that aside. And here's the aha moment for me. And uh, I'll just read it and I will give you a second to see if you pick it up and I'll reread it again. Verse six, so we are in Malachi three, we go to verse six and here's the quote from God. It says, for I the Lord, so this is the Lord speaking, do not change therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I'm going to read that again in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This is where I had my aha moment just a couple of days ago, and here's why. When I think of Jesus Christ as the propitiation and why he had to do it. God is giving me the answer right here. So he's saying children of Jacob are not consumed. So fast forward a little ways in the Bible and who are the children of Jacob? If you fast forward, if you push rewind, you find out it's Israel. So it's just saying Israel's not consumed. But we know from reading the New Testament, Paul tells us there's no longer Jew nor Greek nor man, nor woman. Everybody is in Christ, is in Christ, period. So we can read that through the filter of, "O oh, children of Jacob. So believers are not consumed. Why are they not consumed? Because I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. Here's what becomes interesting to me in this very simple one-sentence Verse, and that is this We are saved because it is God's nature to save, it is in His nature to redeem, it is in His nature to show His love in a way that, although He is wrathful towards things that are not a part of him, or things that do not love him, or things that live in darkness, and he destroys them and sets them aside from him, his nature, which is never changing, is to redeem to himself, to pull to himself, to fellowship with those who love him, and to rescue them when they start to slip away into the darkness, he sends himself there. So, it says I the Lord, and with capital O Lord, we think of God the Father. Now, of course, we know it's Jesus Christ who is the propitiation or he is the sacrifice as we look at it from a Trinitarian point of view. So for a second, back up from the Trinitarian point of view and remember that all three parts of the Trinity are God, one being, one God, three persons. I the Lord Do not change. God had to send himself as God. He has to be the sacrifice for our sin because it is his nature to give his life for us. It is his nature that he would lay down himself so that we are able to be redeemed and have fellowship with him and one another in his holiness. On the heels of the Christmas season, on the heels of a season of giving and a season of healing and a season of peace or should be, or at least the thought of, or the songs are sung about it, this is much easier for me to get my head around in light of this verse of why it has to be God who lays down his life. As a parent, when you have children and you see them step out, As I talked about earlier, it pleases us when we do the work to redeem them to us. When your kids need money for something, it pleases us when we provide it. When our kids are hungry, it pleases us to provide them food. It pleases us to provide them with clothes. It pleases us, if they're in danger, to redeem them to ourselves. Uh, It pleases them to bring them into our home for our love, our fellowship, our entertainment, and being built in the imago Day, in the image of God, I believe thoroughly—you uh, won't convince me otherwise—that God has put it in us. And I know we can, we're sinful people, and we only crave sinfulness. But in us is this intrinsic desire to please our children, because God put it there so that we would understand His nature, his intrinsic desire to please us through the laying down of himself, he wants us to understand that we can't do it ourselves because it pleases him that he is the one who lays it down for us. Because, I'll I'll use a meal as an example, our kids can go fill their bellies on their own. They can go out and get a cheeseburger somewhere somewhere and satisfy their hunger, and they can laugh with their friends and drink milkshakes, and all will be good, and they can seem like they're happy. As a parent, we enjoy, it is pleasing to us when our children return to our home and we have that fellowship with them and we fill their bellies in our home. This provision for them, we purchased the food, we provided the food, we uh, toiled over the food and. And we fried the burgers up on the grill ourselves and put it in the bun just right so that it's perfect. And they enjoy the flavor and they enjoy being with their mom and dad. And they, they enjoy this time spent together. And maybe there's music and maybe there's good conversation. And we are the ones who provided all of that. And that is what pleases us. God, the same way it is pleasing to him that he is the one who provides that return of humankind to himself because that is his nature, that he is a giving, loving God full of light that knows the only way to truly be satisfied in his creation is that he is the one who has provided the propitiation or the atoning work that is Christ. So that is what I got out of this simple verse. I know it seems like a lot to pull out of just one um, one very simple verse. But if you continue to read on, I encourage you to. God is going to continue to go on in this thing and, and tell us from verse 7, the from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. Uh, and he's telling them, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how shall have we robbed you and your tithes and your contributions? you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of uh the whole nation of you. God is saying that there's no way that we can they can make their way back to them on their own. There's no way that humans can do it on their own. They can't make their way. To a fullness of joy. They can't make their way to God with their own works. What he's saying is, let me do it. Let me do this for you. I am the only one that can do it, so just, just let me do it. Um, I hope this is helpful to you. I think this was really, uh, like I said, an aha moment for me, and it was very helpful in my studies because it brought me to a new place as I study and read and write Uh, But it also brought me to a new place just in my Christian walk um, where I I hear this. And now I think I'm able to give a better answer to those who question in their own faith. Like, why do you believe what you believe? And when I'm able to tell people, it's got to be Jesus, man. And and you got to lay yourself down and allow him to be that saving grace for you. And this is why, because it is his nature to do that. He wants to do it and it pleases him. It doesn't please him that, you know, people are set aside. It doesn't please him that people are in darkness. It doesn't please him um, that he will draw near them for judgment. Rather, he would draw near to us for saving grace and pull us into his fellowship in the eternity that we call paradise or heaven, which um, is going to be amazing. So... Uh, I pray that your Christmas season was full of joy. You were able to have people around you. And I know shopping was different and shows were different this year and not everything was quite the same. Uh, but we find our peace and our joy in the fellowship that we have with our family. So I hope you were able to have family draw near to you and uh, continue to read. Dig into your Bible and find those pearls uh, like 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 this was for me. Dig in there and find that stuff that really um, draws you nearer to your God and allows you to understand him more, the intimacy that he has for you. So many blessings in the new year, and stay on the grind.